we're going to have our main Bible reading now, which is Revelations chapters 17 and 18, which in the church Bibles can be found um, starting on page 1037. So Revelation chapter 17, starting at verse 1. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute, who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead were written a name of mystery, Babylon the great mother of prostitutes, and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings, who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind and hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out this pur his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, 
having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid others back, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon spice, incense myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendours are lost to, be, lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all had ships at sea, grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. 
For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her were found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on earth. Well, do keep that text open. We're going to be looking at that uh, together in the next few moments. Just to say there's an outline of where we're going in the handout, so make use of that as you will. And at the end, there's an awful lot going on in these two chapters. There's opportunities for a further reflection with question time um, to either ask a question or make a comment. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who is truthful, good and sovereign. And we pray as your people, we would vindicate who you are in our response to your word to us, that we would listen to it, trust it and obey it. In Jesus' name, Amen. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls introduced John to the prostitute. Chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now later on, in chapters 21 and 22, it's the same angel who introduces John to the bride of the Lamb. So 21 verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now making it the same angel is a way of drawing attention to these two women. One who is a prostitute and the other who is a bride. These two women are also identified as cities. The prostitute is identified as the city of Babylon and the bride is identified as the new Jerusalem. So you've got two women, the prostitute and the bride. You've got two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. Now this is classic revelation. Seeing things in black and white categories. And it's all because the genre of revelation is apocalyptic. It provides the reader with a heavenly perspective on what is going on. Now, you don't get that in the narrative sections of the Bible. Now, on the ground, things are messy. But from a heavenly perspective, things are seen as they actually are. And we're presented with this bifurcation, this division of things into two. It's something that we've already, uh, already, already met in the book in how people are portrayed. We've only had two people. 
we've had people with either the mark of the beast or we've had people with the mark of the lamb. Now we've got two women, the prostitute and the bride. And we've got two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. Now in this section, John is going to be shown in advance the judgment of the prostitute. The argument is going to be, as we shall see, is that because the prostitute is going to be judged, the saints are to come out of her. That is to say that John is going to be shown the judgment of Babylon in order that God's people would not conform to her and participate in what she does. Okay, that's where we're going. The vision that John is shown is given to us in chapter 17, verses 3 to 6. And it's a vision of a woman sitting on a beast. So let me read to you again verse 3 of chapter 17. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The beast on which the woman rides bears the same characteristics as the first beast we met back in Revelation chapter 13. Both are described as a beast with seven heads and ten horns. And the prostitute is identified by her relationship to this beast. She is seated on him. Now, that the prostitute is seated on the beast is not, of course, telling us about her mode of transport. That she is seated on the beast suggests that the beast is supporting her. That fits well with how the woman is portrayed. She is drunk with the blood of the saints, verse 6. And if you recall, the first beast that we met back in Revelation 13 was the agent of Satan that shows itself in historical opposition and persecution of God's people. And that accounts for the parallel activity of the woman. She does what the beast does. She's not simply a political power, but behind her stands Satan. The woman is further identified as a parody of the Bride of the Lamb. She's dressed in bejeweled attire and clothed in linen, which hides her corruption. And that is in contrast to the Lamb's Bride, who is adorned in costly jewels and clothes herself in bright, pure linen. 
And it takes divine wisdom to discern these differences. John's response to the vision is given at the end of verse 6. Chapter 17, verse 6. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. We might think that John was impressed by her, seduced almost. And that would fit with the usage of the word in verse 8, where the dwellers on earth marvel at the beast. But the problem with this interpretation is that the dwellers on earth are deceived, deceived by her. Whereas John sees her for what she actually is. I mean, the vision is grotesque, and it would be hard to see John's attraction. Help comes when we learn that the word marvel can equally have a negative meaning, such as be disturbed by. In which case, verse 6 would mean, when I saw her, I was greatly disturbed. You see, so far, all John has seen is this disturbing imagery. So far, all John has seen is this disturbing imagery. He's not yet been shown the judgment of the prostitute. And it's this that the angel now tells him of. The portrayal of the prostitute's downfall is given uh, down in verses 16 and 17. Have a look. I'll read them. Picking up at verse 16. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. The beast and the ten horns were initially in coalition with the prostitute. They were working together. The prostitute was, after all, supported by the beast. But now, the beast and the ten horns turn on her. They expose her, devour her, and burn her up like a city. We don't then need to worry about the beast and the ten horns, because we've already been told that the beast will go to destruction. Verse 8, and that the ten horns will be conquered by the Lamb. Verse 14, but before they do, they are God's agent to bring about the destruction of the prostitute. Some of us at Book Club have been thinking about the one rule of God. How the eternal son is not a rival to the eternal father because the son is eternally subordinate to the father. 
And this one rule of God secures the one plan of God. There is no division. There is no civil war. And as God's people share God's purpose, the whole kingdom of God is united. This stands in contrast to the human kingdoms whose rule is corrupt, characterized by self-love and hatred, and who are ultimately divided. Unable to secure one rule, it's only a matter of time before the whole thing self-destructs. I mean, it's, it's amazing to think what human kingdoms have come and gone, whilst at the same time, the kingdom of God has endured. And whilst this division occurs throughout the ages, it's an anticipation of the final division in self-destruction amongst that which is opposed to God. That is to say that on the one hand, we see this played out in the way that human kingdoms come and go, but eventually it will be played out in the final judgment when Babylon will simply be no more. Now the purpose of being told about Babylon's coming judgment is given to us in chapter 18 verses 4 and 5. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. God's people are called to come out of her. The reason given is so that they will not participate in her sins and as a result participate in her judgments. That is to say that John's overriding concern is to warn the church about being compromised by her so that they will not be judged with her. But what does it mean to come out of her. Well, in the final judgment, there will be a final separation. Babylon will be no more, and the people of God will be established in the New Jerusalem. But until that time, there is still a coming out of the people of God from Babylon but that can't mean a physical separation. Not least, not least because the purpose of God's people in these last days is to be a faithful witness to the world. They're to remain in the world, to witness and to suffer for their testimony. I mean, we could, we could try and identify the Babylon of our day and at least you know, keep a wide berth from her. 
But that approach risks complacency. You know, if, say, I know China was a new Babylon, then as long as we stay away from her, then we're safe. But in the text of Revelation chapter 17 and 18, did you notice that the influence of Babylon extends to the peoples and nations of the whole world who are caught up in her idolatry, corruption, and complicit in it? And so is there anywhere safe? I take it then, to come out of her means to not conform to her. To keep ourselves from idolatry and to be prepared to contend for the truth rather than to compromise. If Babylon is characterised by idolatry, then the bride, well, the bride is characterised by faithfulness to the Lamb. Now, in the final separation, the pressure will be over. But in the overlap of the ages, where these two cities coexist, we are to be conformed to the right one. We began by observing that John's attention is drawn not just to one woman, but two. Yet the book of Revelation will end with only one, the Bride of the Lamb. And the Bride of the Lamb is a very rich description of the people of God. On the one hand, God's people are defined by reference to Jesus Christ. They've been ransomed for God by his blood. They belong to him and he rules over them. On the other hand, if God's people are his bride, one is left to ask, when is the wedding? And what we've been told here in Revelation chapter 17 and 18 is part of our preparation for that day. The Bible ends not with two women, but with one, and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me pray, and I'll open up to any questions or comments you might have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this vision that is given to John about the judgment on Babylon that is to come. And we thank you that this vision is given for the benefit of your saints. They would not conform to her or participate in her uh, activities, but rather prepare for the marriage of the Lamb as the bride of the Lamb, in purity and faithfulness to him. 
And pray, please, we would hear the warning of this text and be all the more eager to prepare for that day when Babylon will be no more and your people will dwell with you in your holy city. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I mentioned at the start, time for questions or comments. This is your time. Everyone happy? Oh, go on. Yeah, yeah, very good. Thank you. So, um, we repeat the question for the recording in chap, sorry, chapter six, <laughs> chapter seventeen, verse six. It says that the, when John saw her, he marveled greatly. And if we're taking that in a negative sense, that he's disturbed. Why then does the angel say to me, why do you marvel? Yes. Um, so I think what's going on here is, because it does feel like the angel is kind of saying, no, I didn't intend for you to be disturbed by this vision. <coughs> Excuse me. And in many ways, um, I'm just going to cough. I'm going to turn this off. <coughs> and then, when it is kind of a rhetorical question, why do you marvel? You weren't supposed to marvel or be disturbed. Let me tell you the mystery of the woman, and goes on to explain what's going on. So I take it what's happening here is at the point where. Um, John is disturbed. He's not, um, all he's seen is this grotesque prostitute on the beast, um, drunk with the blood of the saints. That, that's kind of all he's seen. Whereas if you look back in verse um, 1, the angel says, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. So in other words, the purpose of the vision is not to disturb John, but to show the judgment of this grotesque um, vision in order that uh, the church would then be warned to come out of her and not to, you know, not to conform to her. So I think it, in many sense it sort of advances the, the narrative. And particularly I think it's, it's, it's a helpful question because it just reminds us what the purpose of the vision is, like the purpose of these visions is not to frighten the people of God, 
um, but to warn the people of God to um, holiness. Is that okay? Yeah, cool. Last chance, uh, Nathan. Yes. Uh, so I think the latter. I've got to repeat that for the recording. We should have like a mic. So, okay, question about the structure. And I, 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 I quite like structural questions because you get so far in and you just think, where are we? Um, so, uh, well, let me, let me incorporate Nathan's comment in a slightly wide comment about structure. So, do you remember we've had various sevens? We had, you have to help me out, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, okay, and they seem to be about the same event, but from a different perspective, okay, so helping us to understand um, the richness of, of the event and, and therefore to learn from it. But after the seventh bowl, we seventh bowls we get no more sevens and actually what's happening in 17 now is that things are beginning to be wrapped up so it's interesting that the angel is identified as the one who had the seven bowls and so Nathan's comment is rather than like starting a new section this section seems tied to the the bowls and you know as, as if it's um and actually, what we're going to see is there's actually quite a nice structure to it, to just, I can give you it for the rest of the book, is that basically from chapter 17 to 20 is going to be about the final judgment. And then, it's crudely put, and 21, 22 is final salvation. And the final judgment is interesting because you just think, gosh, we've got quite a lot of chapters on final judgments. So in 17 and 18, we've got the judgment of Babylon. Next week, We've got Revelation 19, which is the judgment on the two beasts. Now, we've, we've been told that the first beast is going to be destroyed, but we're actually going to see that in the vision. And then what's left is Revelation 20, which is the judgment on the dragon. And 
everyone whose name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay, so we've got Babylon, two beasts, the dragon, and then everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then that leads into then a creation of a new heaven, new earth. Um, and I think what's going on here in terms of why it's sort of slowed down is that um, the New Testament uh, um, asserts that the salvation that God provides is comprehensive. And if the salvation is to be comprehensive, that means the judgment needs to be comprehensive. You know, it's no good if, if, if anything is left in that final judgment. And so in many ways it's slowed down so that actually we can see that there is no future in Babylon, the beast, the dragon, those whose names not in the Lamb Book of Life. So that's kind of what's, what's going on. So I think it is, yeah, it's, we're now just, we're now in that final stage. And in many ways, this is a vision of the fall of Babylon. And we're told in advance that it's going to fall so that we would not conform to her. Because if we conform to her, then we'll be caught up in her judgment. Um, is that cool? So it's quite interesting. The book introduces all these characters like Babylon, the dragon, the two beasts, the people who bear the name of the, um, the, name of the beasts on their foreheads, only then to show how, in God's purposes, those things will be wrapped up. Time for more? Yes, Simon. Yeah, what, what are we to make of the, uh, in 1712, that one hour, but the, um, the ten kings were not receive power, that they will receive authority for that one hour? Is that just a short period of time, or is that a literal? Yeah, thanks. So in verse 12 or 17, it talks about, let me just read verse 12, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. So is that like a literal one hour, or is it sort of symbolic of a short time? Yes. Um, okay. Just as I, um, I caught myself out, so I'm just going to a quick um, just uh, recap. Um, do you remember the um, distinction that Don Carson makes between literal and literalistic? So literalistic would mean that one hour means 60 minutes. That's a literalistic reading. Whereas a literal reading, interestingly, means you read it the way the author intended it. Now, that may well be literalistically, but it may be symbolic. So I think that's a helpful way to navigate, especially when people say, oh, do you think the Bible, do you read the Bible literally? And you could say, well, I don't read it literalistically because that would just be silly. But I do read it literally in the sense I want to be sensitive to different genres of the Bible and understand it the way the authors intend it to be. And if that is literalistic, which some of the Bible is, then I do. But if it's symbolic, then I read it symbolically. And in a book full of symbolism, you know, it would be peculiar here to think that the hour is a 60-minute period. And I think it probably ties in, I mean, to be fair, I'm, I'm glad you didn't ask me this question. If you try and track all of, all of those kings and that activity with what's going on here on the ground, I don't think 
I don't think it can be done. I'm not sure that's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but rather, I think it relates to... Um, I mean, it's a very interesting verse, verse 17, where it says, For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And again, it just reminds us that in all of what's going on with the horns and the kings and the beasts, is under the sovereign purposes of God. Um, and that actually his purposes are for a time, but that that time is limited. And I think it's fair to say in the Bible, when you have these periods, the emphasis seems to be on it's for a little while, but only for a little while. And again, I think that encourages the saints to endure, because not only do they have right expectations of what they're called to endure, as in the overlap of the cities, but it's a game changer to know it's only for a little while because then Babylon will be no more and that they will be established in the New Jerusalem. Cool. Okay, we'll leave it there. Um, for now, we're going to sing our next song, Before the Throne.